Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey everyone, thanks for joining the Swirl Sweep today. We have a very special guest. His name is Thatcher Baker Briggs. Thatcher is a 30-year-old sommelier who is fast becoming a modern-day trailblazer for minorities and millennials in the wine industry. Thatcher started out his wine journey as a dishwasher in Canada at 13 years old, working his way up to picking bottles for the NBA. Today, Thatcher is well known for parlaying his stints at elite restaurants from Tokyo to San Francisco. He started his own private wine consultancy where he procures the rarest vintages and bottles for an international clientele list of venture capitalists, tech founders, and NBA athletes. Listen to his full story here. And guess what? Don't check out early because Tanisha tells us all about her trip to Italy at the very end of our episode. Cheers. Welcome to the Swirl Suite, everybody, and happy Wine Wednesday. Uh, It's really hot in D.C., (laughs) so um, I'm sure you are drinking lots of beautiful white wines and lots of sparkling wines. We're going to talk about Chenin Blanc a little later with our special guest, but um, I just want to give you a very warm welcome to the Swell Suite. Thatcher, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, inviting me to the show. I'm excited to be here. Yes, yes, we are excited to have you. Please introduce yourselves to everybody. Um, yes, yeah, so my name is uh, Thatcher Baker Briggs. Um, I was born in, in Canada, uh, moved to the U.S. about uh, 10 or uh, about 11 years ago, I guess now. Um, was lucky to have dual citizenship, so it was kind of easy for me to, to, to move over here. Um, and yeah, and now um, I'm, I have a company called TWC or Thatcher's Wine Consulting. And um, what we do is we help make the... Uh, wine process a little bit easier for wine collectors. And so uh, we help them source wine. Uh, we help them set goals for their collection or seller or drinking. Um, we help to, uh, with the logistics, whether they need wine in a specific place or for a specific dinner or for friends or guests. Uh, we just, the aim is really to simplify that process and take um it can be really time consuming and we hope that we can make it a little simpler for them. Tanisha has joined us. Hey, Tanisha, how are you? Hey, Tanisha. <laughs> Hello. How's everyone? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So Thatcher just gave us uh, his introduction. So Thatcher, what's your original, like, how did you get started in wine? Cause you got started pretty young. You got your Psalm certification at 22. I read. Yeah. How did so- that get started? You know, it's been a whole, it's been my whole life. Uh, I started cooking when I was, when I was 13. um, And, but was interested in food years before that, probably nine or 10. I I was kind of inspired by like Asian cuisines, uh, different ingredients, different cooking techniques. I don't really know what exactly kind of sparked that inspiration, uh, but it did. And I just couldn't get out of it. And um, so, yeah, I started cooking and uh, originally from Canada. So uh, in Ontario, um, you know, spent time there until I was about 18. And then as soon as I could leave, I searched out uh, what was, I thought, one of the coolest restaurants in uh, the country, which was happened to be on the other side of the country. Uh, and Canada's huge. So it's, uh, <laughs> it was a big trip. 
Uh, so I moved to Vancouver, moved back to Ontario to work with another chef that I was excited about. Uh, ended up moving to San Francisco to get involved in um, you know, the Michelin star world. Uh, started working at Qua, which was a two Michelin star restaurant at the time. And that was really sort of that first you know, introduction to some of the finer wines of the world. I mean, I was all there. Wine is always around when you're in a restaurant, but when you're cooking, you really tend to just focus on cooking and not anything else. And after work, you 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 drink a lot of beer and and some whiskey, and that's about it. And so, um, which is not bad, you know. I'm not, I wasn't mad about that at the time, but uh, once I got a, a little taste, I I was really inspired. And um, you know, after that moment for me was about 10 years into working in restaurants. And I realized that I never wanted to be a chef that um, didn't pay attention to what was happening in the dining room. I wanted to be a well-rounded business owner. I wanted to understand how service worked, how wine worked, how reservations worked. Um, and so I got into wine. I started reading books. And um, for anybody that knows me, it's a, <laughs> my personality is very sort of uh, uh, upset. And so I, uh, I dove in and couldn't get out and um, spent 12 hours a day just studying and, and reading about wine and spending my entire paycheck on tasting wine. And it was, it was funny because, so you can drink in Canada at 18 or 19, depending on which province you're in. And I, at, at that age, I really didn't even like to, I didn't like the effects of drinking wine. It just didn't make me feel good. And, uh, but I love the way that it tastes. I love the story. And, and as I kind of went through it, I started to appreciate it a, a lot more and, and actually could, could drink the wine, but I would just taste it and, um, <laughs> and then kind of move on to the next wine. Um, so I just started studying. And um, as soon as I turned 21, I, uh, I flew back to San Francisco to take the introduction exam for the Court of Master Sommeliers. Um, and uh, well, I think it was about six months after I turned 21, I flew out to take that exam. And then uh, six months later, I took the, the, certifi the certified sommelier exam in New York um, and then decided to really pursue, you know, the sommelier lifestyle or in the dining room and, and kind of gain a better understanding of what that was all about. Um, so I moved back to San Francisco and spent some time at um, Cezanne restaurant, uh, which was another two Michelin star restaurant that had uh, an absolutely epic wine list of probably three, 4,000 selections at the time of just all of the craziest, oldest, rarest, Burgundy, Champagne, Rhone, uh, Bordeaux, Italian. It was really an incredible list. And it was a sort of, um, it was like this high speed path through tasting all these wines. Like I, I tasted things that I had only dreamed of. My first day I, I was drinking a glass of Latoche and the second day I was drinking Latour and Mouton. It was this really amazing time for the restaurant and in, in, in entirely spoiled in, in terms of what we were, what we were tasting and, and, and honestly drinking because, you know, being such a small restaurant, we had seven tables, a lot of guests you build this really amazing connection with that they're like, hey, I brought in this bottle of wine. Have you ever had this? Like, you need to pour yourself a glass, like drink the wine, don't taste the wine. Um, and, and that was really how I got into wine. Um, I wanted to make my own path and do something a little bit different than what I had seen a lot of other sommeliers or cooks do. Um, so decided to follow my 
my dreams and um and I moved to Tokyo without um a job <laughs> in just hopes that my resume would uh would get me into um into the right places uh which I was very lucky to find an amazing job um and again that was a, an amazing experience to see a how another culture drinks wine um how they describe wine and you learn a lot about yourself I think when you well one I was 23 I think or 24 at the time so it's really young uh maybe, maybe I was 20, 24 25 I was young um I didn't speak Japanese um you know I wanted to think that I understood the culture but nobody understands the culture even sometimes Japanese people um and when you can't speak a language and you need to learn how to describe wine to somebody, it's an interesting uh, uh, moment in patience and communication. Uh, and I learned a lot about myself, uh, a lot about how to interact with, with guests, um, communicate with people. Um, it was a really amazing experience. Um, and then decided to move back to San Francisco after a couple of years of honestly drinking probably the best I've ever drank in my entire life was Japan. I, it was, I said Cezanne was a small restaurant. We had seven seats or sorry, seven tables. Um, the restaurant in, in Tokyo was called Takazawa. We had 10 seats in the entire restaurant. Um, it was <laughs> pretty amazing. Um, and the, the wines that we were opening there on a regular basis were uh, truly something special. And, um, uh, was even more spoiled. Wow, that that's fascinating. Wow, I, I have so many questions, but I guess I'll just start with this one. What's the major difference between the way that folks drink wine in Tokyo versus the U.S.? That's interesting. I, I well, for starters, I think wine in Japan is just really. Um, it's been a thing but but kind of not really um there, there's been a lot of really amazing collectors in japan for a long time but it's a very small portion of the of the population it's not really part of the 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 culture yet uh but it's quickly becoming and so i think when when that is the case um people seem to be almost even more excited about it because it's something that isn't around as much and so a lot of the Japanese guests that would come into the restaurant would just be very trusting. And, and in fact, there's hardly even wine lists um, in Japan. And I think that's a huge difference. When you go to a restaurant, you just say to this chef, like, I want to drink champagne today. And then the chef goes into the wine cellar uh, with and comes back 15 minutes later with four bottles of champagne, puts them on the table and says, which one do you want? Hmm. <laughs> it's a really interesting experience more so because you have no idea about how much the wines cost um and <laughs> that often is not the uh, reason that's often not the um uh the first thing that the chef thinks about he just picks four bottles of wine that he wants that he thinks is going to work with the food and um so that's always kind of interesting um but there's a lot of trust um they're very you know japanese people are just like yeah like I, if you if you think it's amazing let's do it and i think here in the US, um, you know, it's obviously not a bad idea. And I would recommend to anybody um, to ask, you know, a lot of questions if you were to ever go to a restaurant like that here in the US, because it's, you know, it's important. 
but definitely I think ha you know it goes both ways I think a guest trusting this the the chef and or sommelier is is great um, but I also think at the same time a lot of uh, U.S. sommeliers need to also understand exactly what the guest wants and it can't just be something that like well, I had this really crazy orange wine from Slovenia. So like, I'm going to give it to this person who likes Napa Cabernet because they said I can pick whatever I want. To me, that's kind of a miss. So I think, I think that those are some pretty significant differences between, um, between that. But Japan, for anybody that's into wine, if you ever go, there's like just magical wine bars that exist there with things that you just could never find anywhere else. Hmm. Tanisha, so same question for you. What is the biggest difference between the way Americans drink wine and the way that French drink wine? The French definitely drink it on a more casual basis. It is just a thing that's at the table, like how in America, ketchup is at the table, salt and pepper, Coca-Cola. They drink wine like that. Um, and when they talk about wine, they're not necessarily talking about the grapes themselves, but they're talking about the soil and the sunlight and the rainfall, they're talking about all of that. And then you might even get like a little story of uh, the winemaker. They're definitely into smaller brands, smaller houses um, and that kind of thing, not big conglomerate uh, type things. So mm -hmm. those are just a couple of differences. All right, very good point. Uh, so Thatcher, back to you. What are some of the services that you offer with your consulting business? You mentioned that you help build, um, I guess, wine collections for people's homes. I do not know how to build a wine collection because I'm, I'm a drinker. I pretty much drink everything. I might save a bottle or two for a special occasion, but like, what do you, where do I begin? What do you tell people to begin? Yeah, I think, I mean, everyone is a little different in terms of what a wine collection is. And for some people, that a wine collection could be 24 bottles, right? And for others, it could be 24,000 bottles. So there's a huge difference between um, what everyone needs and, and wants. And I think, um, I think uh, you know, the, the number one thing in terms of importance when you're going out and, um, starting a collection, whether again, whether it's 24 bottles, 100 bottles, 1,000, 24,000, is to make sure that you have uh, a well-rounded uh, collection. And, and I think it's important to have um, wines to drink now. And I think that's the hardest part for people that start a collection. And, and just let's say like something, a small collection of just a couple hundred bottles it's really hard to get to those couple hundred bottles unless you have champagne, white wine, red wine in your house, ready to drink at any moment of time. Because if you just go out and you're buying whatever the top of your budget is because you want to age these wines, you're going to go to those wines first um, and drink them. And then you won't be able to collect anything. So I think for anybody that, that's out there that's thinking about starting uh, a wine collection, get a case of champagne, a case of white, a case of red, and then start building on top of that. And if your budget's a little bit bigger, then you can up the amount that you can buy for sure. But depending on how much you want to spend, I think that that's really um, the way to go. And, um, you know, that's how we, how we start it. 
we also, you know, take time, sit down with the clients for dinner or go to their house, you know, whatever it may be, open bottles of wine, taste through it with them, learn their tastes. Maybe we put together curated cases for them on a, a monthly basis so that they can try some new things. Um, there's a lot of ways to go about creating a, a collection. Obviously, if you want, if you have zero bottles of wine at home and you want a 10,000 bottle seller, it's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> uh, whereas if you want to have just a really nice uh, wine fridge at home with a great selection of wines, um, it's not that it's less work. Um, it just means actually that we need to tailor it even a little bit more specifically because, uh, you know, theoretically speaking, a hundred bottles of wine could definitely be consumed in far less than a year's time, you know? Um, and so uh, that's, yeah, that's really kind of how we, how we approach it. Um, yeah. In other services, I mean, a lot of things that we do are uh, event bases as well, where, you know, clients want to have a curated dinner, they reach out and they say, uh, hey, you know what? I really love this wine. It would be amazing to put together 30 different vintages of these wines. Can you help arrange? And I'll invite friends. Um, lately, we've been arranging a lot of wine to go to uh, like vacation um, places, whether they're, they have a yacht and they're going, we have someone right now going to Monaco and he's like, oh, I need, you know, six cases of wine in France in two weeks. And so we kind of have to figure out those logistics. So um, we help with that process as well. Very nice. I missed this part, but how did you go from sommelier in Japan to curating collections, getting clients, you know, that kind of thing that um, you just described? So I, um, so after Tokyo, um, I, I went back to Cezanne um, and, I, and I was the director of um, service and beverage. Um, and I had kind of a unique role uh, where I was tying all of the different departments of the restaurant together. So I worked with the sommelier team, the service team, the bar team, the chefs, and tried to make the way that everyone worked uh, and ultimately provided service for the guest as efficient uh, as possible. Um, in, in doing so and having spent you know, so many years at Cezanne, at because I was there for four years in total, uh, which is not, I guess, like that long of a time, but it's in a, in a three Michelin restaurant, it is <laughs> sometimes a long time. Um, I got to know a lot of, uh, a lot of guests uh, on a really intimate level. And I think especially when I came back from Japan, I had a very different mindset. I think initially when you're in this Michelin star environment, you have a very, a lot of people tend to have a very acting sort of mentality. And I, and I used to say this to the staff a lot at Cezanne and I said, hey guys, we're not pretending to work at a three Michelin star restaurant. We are working at a three Michelin star restaurant. It's okay to show your personality. And I think what I saw a lot in Japan working in such a tiny restaurant was that people come to this restaurant, not only for the food, but because they love the people who work in that restaurant. And that really helped me emulate that a lot when I came back to the US. Um, and so, so, so guests at the time just naturally were like, well, every time I come to the restaurant, you just pick out wine for me, kind of using that sort of almost Japanese mentality. They're like, so can you just do this at my house and help me fill up 
my cellar. And so I said, yeah, and I, and I didn't ever think anything of it. Um, I just said, sure, I can help you get some wine for your house. And it ended up being a very large cellar. Um, and I was like, huh, like there's something here, like this is a really hard process. Like this person wants a couple of thousand bottles. Well, if you want a couple of thousand bottles shipped to your house, that's, you know, a hundred cases of wine. That's a lot of wine to, it's a lot of boxes, it, you know, just the, the putting it away is such a big process, knowing what to pick. And so I said to myself, there's definitely, um, there's definitely something here. And um, a, like a lot of decisions that I've made in my life, whether it be to just get up and move to uh, Vancouver or get up and move to San Francisco or Tokyo or go to spend several months in Europe and not really like thinking about it, just being able to sort of react and um, be adapted to the situation. I just said, I want to start my own business. I'm going to do it and um, decided to go out um, on my own after that. So that's kind of how I started getting um, starting the business. Yeah. I came in as such a good part. I'm like, Hmm. Right. I, my question for you is like, do you have Tanisha? Do you do y'all have wine collections? Do you collect wine? I do. Really? You collect it for like your life, or you collect it to like drink for the weekend? Because like I've collected some wine today to drink Saturday. <laughs> I mean, that's like I collected it. Right. <laughs> that's not. What I thought that was just a purchase. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I inadvertently started collecting because I joined several wine clubs. Mm. And, um, and so I, I do have several bottles that, um, that I collected. And to be honest with you, the other day I was looking at them on the racks or what have you know it's like I think I need to go through this because I think with Thatcher like the wine that he's purchasing probably it's aged worthy wine right but the wine that I have probably does not have the shelf life that Mm. I would love it to have and so to go through and decide oh this you know maybe I should share some of this with friends or what have you because even though I'm storing it properly, I don't think it will be um, enjoyable in 10 years from now. Mm. I would love um, just a sparkling wine collection. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. And I I know like when people think of like collecting sparkling wine, you automatically go to champagne, but I feel like there are other sparkling wines that are age worthy. Mm-hmm. And um, I would love that. That would be awesome. I mean, I could probably drink. In fact, I mostly do, but could pretty much just drink champagne every day for the rest of my well, life. Probably be pretty course. happy, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> it was, um, you know, this is the, the level of my sophistication of my TV watch. But I don't, I don't know if you remember the Will, the Real Housewives of Potomac, and she created a champagne room. Yeah, uh huh. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
And I also, uh, me and Alan, we did a little staycation in like the DuPont Circle, Georgetown area this weekend. And we went to this place called Alero. Is it Alero? Am I saying that right? I think it's Alero. I forgot the name, but it begins with, begins with an A. And it's in Georgetown. And it's a champagne caviar bar. And Ooh, it, it, it was lovely. It, it was absolutely stunning. Um, it's it's small, but and it's a quaint it's in a quaint little neighborhood. And I was like, can you imagine living across the street from this place? Wow, I would really be broke because I'd be here every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it will probably get old. Champagne and caviar, though. Like, I don't think it will ever get old. Imagine you making friends with a manager and just going over there once a week. Like, hey, so give me something different today. Okay, once a week. Okay. Could definitely do. Okay, no, that would work yeah. out. You don't know, like rewatch. You know, I don't like stuff the same. <laughs> they would change it up for you. Mm. No, because they probably would say, "Hey, guess what? Just, just what we just got in." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Thatcher, where do you get your wine from? Like, how do you? Uh, how does that process even work when you're getting it imported from other places? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I, I would say of, of, of all, I mean, I would say the, of all of the things that we do, uh, sourcing the wine is definitely the, the most challenging and time consuming. Um, I think, um, you know, people are looking for really, really specific things. Um, it doesn't mean that everything is expensive. In fact, there's bottles of wine that cost, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 dollars a bottle that people are, you know, begging for on Instagram or emails or trying to purchase as many as they can possibly find. Um, sourcing is a challenge. Um, we, we, we have uh, an import license, which makes things a little bit easier. You know, we really focus on um, a lot of your, we, we pretty much only focus on European wines. So champagne, uh, German Riesling, um, you know, Spanish varieties. I love Madeira from Portugal. Um, I love the history and, and stories of a lot of the European um, varieties. Um, so that definitely makes the process much easier. Uh, we're lucky to have some really great clients that have the have amassed these really incredible collections over the years that are you know, 50, 60, 70, pushing 80 years old that are like, well, I'm 75. So I guess I don't need 15,000 <laughs> bottles of wine anymore. Uh, can you help me sell some? And so it kind of keeps this really beautiful circle so that, you know, maybe they sell 50 or 60% of their collection and then they just want to replace it with some really great bottles that they really want to drink. And, you know, they're understanding that, you know, when you're 70, you're, you're getting up there when you're 80, you're getting up there. So, um, but con like that is the number one thing that we spend the most time on is finding the wines and in curating the wines. We never want to be this, um, you know, no offense to wine.com. They're an incredible business, but, um, I think that like, it's such a big company that we really want to, uh, be a little more boutique. We really want to uh, have things that are curated where the inventory is um, ever changing and you come back and you find new exciting things. And you can think about it just like the, the caviar champagne scenario. There's, we have, we were really lucky on the, we have a, uh, an e-commerce platform 
where we, you know, anybody can go on. You don't, we don't need to kind of curate your selection. People go onto the site and I see people placing an order for a bottle two, three times a day sometimes. And it's just because we're constantly putting new wines and they keep checking back and they're having fun. And they're not always, you know, really crazy, big, expensive wines. Sometimes they're just 15, 20, 30 bucks. But it's what that shows me is that people get excited about, you know, these offerings that we're, that we're spending the time uh, on, on doing, you know. You mentioned your process. Can you just um, like kind of walk us through that? Say I'm a client or a potential client. I reach out to you and say, I would like to curate a collection of 20 bottles. Right. And then what do you do? Yeah, so I, yeah, we, we really scale everything. And I, I think so uh, at, that, at that level where somebody's saying, hey, I just need a case or two cases. You know, we have our own inventory of things and from a variety of ranges of prices. So really, um, and we get this email right before I jumped on, there was an email that came in that said, hey, I, I have a budget of $150 a month. Like, can you just pick wine out for me and send it to me? I trust you to pick whatever you think. So, I, you know, everything starts kind of in the same, you know, process. We get an email or an inquiry that comes in, um, whether it's mail or phone call or whatnot. And we follow up and we, we figure out what it is that you're trying to achieve. And then from there, we, if it's a much more substantial collection that you're trying to start, where you're going to be spending a pretty significant amount of money, you know, we'll put together a proposal for you. And we generally will work on a, on an annual retainer basis with you. So we can set these goals. If somebody says, Hey, I just need a, a case or two cases of wine. We'll have a call with you uh, or exchange a couple emails. You can tell us what you, what you really like. And then we'll go through, uh, you know, all of our selections, hit your budget, hit your quantity. And then it's as simple as that. And we just uh, send it off to you, ship it to you. And then, you know, a lot of times we've had clients reach out and they're just like, Hey, I need, I would just like for you to do 12 bottles every single month, 300 bucks, 400 bucks, whatever it is. And just ship it to me. This is what I like. Super simple, super easy. Um, we just can just keep it changing every single month. And is there a way, like for some of the larger collections um, that you work with, do you also, is there an inventory management system or some kind of way for them to be able to track, understand everything that they have? Yeah, for sure. Um, we, I, I would still say today the, the, the best platform for inventory management is Seller Tracker. Um, I've yet to see anything that's any better than that uh, or more robust. The thing that's really beautiful about it um, is you enter all your lines, you can assign them a location. If you have uh, you know, two homes or you have uh, two wine fridges and you wanna know exactly where things are, you can say one is at home and one is in the garage. Um, and then it also tells you uh, the valuation of it, which is great. Um, so you can keep track of like, oh, I forget how much this bottle costs. It's in there for you. Um, and then I really, I think the, the best, the reason why Cellular Tracker is the best is it's the number one database in the world for wine tasting notes and it's all community. So if you're looking for a bottle of wine and you're, um, you know, in a shop or uh, you're in your house or whatever, and you're like, I, you type in the line and it, all of, you know, 100, 200, 1,000, five people, whatever, whoever has tasted that wine, it gives it to you in chronological order. So you can say, oh, like 
this 2010, this person six months ago said is drinking really well. Great. So that's, I'm going to, I'm going to drink that bottle tonight because it give, it's giving me a basis of, of uh, some information of if it's ready to drink or, or not. So seller tracker is definitely number one. Some people don't want anything at all. Some people are just like, I like to go into my cellar and just like pull out bottles and see what looks good. Uh, it, <laughs> I, I don't recommend that method, but like if that's how you want to go about it for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a variety of ways, but seller tracker, I think is still number one. Let's talk about Shannon Blanc for a second. Um, I was told to bring this up with you because uh, Shannon Blanc is very special to you. And it's one of my favorite grapes. It's one of my favorite wines. Um, I don't even have a, like a particular region that I like the most. I just love the grape. I like, I like how different it can be depending on where it's from. So tell us about your love for Shannon Blanc and the trend that you may see coming up. Yeah, I think, I mean, Shannon is a a really exciting grape. Um, I, it, it, you, you said it, you said it well, I I think there isn't really a, a grape, maybe, maybe Riesling, um, would be the other wine that you see uh, as in many different types and in, in forms and styles. But Chenin could be, it could be a sparkling wine. Uh, it could be a still white wine. Um, it could be a little bit sweet, could be not sweet at all. It could be incredibly sweet. Um, it's made in many different countries. Um, I think for me, the standard basis for Chenin Blanc is definitely the Loire Valley in France. Um, they make, again, all different styles of wines. Um, but I think for me, that is really, they work with so many different types of foods. Um, it, it's an exciting grape. And I see a lot of, I see a lot of younger people getting, uh, getting exciting, getting excited about it because a lot of Chenin comes in at a, pretty reasonable price point, which is a great way to see a serious wine. Um, I think, you know, I love Burgundy, for example, but an entry level white Burgundy prices out 95% or more of wine drinkers. And Shannon is at a much more um, reasonable price point. And for, you know, 20 or $30 a bottle, you can be drinking like a truly inspiring bottle of wine. Whereas twenty or thirty dollars in Burgundy, like you're not, you might get a half bottle of something not very good, and like so, uh, I always lean towards Shannon. So, what Shannons do you have in your collection? Um, I love some of the old sweet wines um, from Huet. That's that is for me the one of the greatest. Uh, sweet wine producers in the world. Uh, I think a lot of people think of like Chateau Yquem, which is an amazing wine for sure. But I think some of these old, um, these old Chen, these old Huets are really uh, uh, magical. So I have some really old stuff. I just turned 30 in April and opened up. Um, I was born in, in 91 and 91 wasn't really a particular great vintage. And so I luckily found this in by far the oldest it was such a weird line. It was a sweet, sparkling Chenin Blanc uh, from 1919. It was like the, one of the craziest wines that I've ever, ever tasted. It was delicious. Um, but I had, yeah, it's, it's such a weird wine. Um, a friend of mine sold it to me a couple of years ago, and I've just been sitting on it, waiting for something, a special day. And I figured 30 was the, would be the, the day. 
And I'm sorry, did did I hear you right? Did you say 1919? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to ask the same question. <laughs> yeah, 1919. It, it was, it was. Yeah, wow. It was, it was still fine. It wasn't, you know. It was uh, amazing. It was amazing. So when what happened? They sold the they sold the winery um, a few years ago, and uh, the new owners came in and sold off all of the old reserves. And so the 1919 was the oldest wine that existed in the cellar, and uh, I was lucky to get one bottle of it. And uh, not only was it amazing because it was sweet, but they also it was also sparkling, which is just not a style of wine that you see anymore. Um, and I was with a friend of mine who's this really massive wine collector from, from the UK. And he was just like, I've never had anything like this before in my life. It was, it was a really cool mm. moment. So, um, but on the, on the other side, not the, such the crazy spectrum. Um, I love, I love Giberco. That's really um, has always been a, a favorite trend. And so they're from the Loire Valley. Um, they make, um, they make a dry style, really clean, really precise. You can drink them. You can drink them young. You can age them for, for you know, quite some time. They have, uh, it's coming from Samur. So they have just a Samur Blanc, which is at like a beautiful price point of $25, $30. It probably drinks like a $70 bottle of wine. I highly suggest it for anybody that's like looking to get into Shannon. Um, and then they have like single vineyards that get a little more serious in price point. Um, and but it's really, really an exciting producer. That's always been one of my favorites for sure. Hmm. Wow. So Shannon can age because a lot of people don't think when they think about aging wines, that's not when they think about. So that is something that can happen. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think, I think really, I think more people would be surprised um, as to what can age than, than people think. And I think a testament to that is really what's happening right now in the wine is in the wine scene is uh, everybody's searching out old Napa Cabernet. And, um, and by old, I mean stuff from like 50s, 60s and 70s. Nobody at that time thought that these wines would ever last 50 years. No, it's just, you know, people didn't except for a few people that have held on to them and they're really truly amazing. And so I think a lot of wines, you know, if you keep your wine in a temperature controlled wine fridge out of the sun and don't move it around too much, uh, laying down on its cork, you'd be surprised that even a 15 or $20 bottle of Chenin Blanc will last a year or two years or three years or more sometimes, depending on what the producer is. Um, I think you'll probably find a little bit more age-worthy examples in France than perhaps you might find um, from, you know, Clark or you know some stuff from some stuff from South Africa is age-worthy, but sometimes it's made to be in a much more drinkable style. Um, but if you're in France and you're in the Loire Valley, I think all of those wines will last several years, and you don't have to worry about it. Patrick, do you see? Um, and I apologize if this is a repeat question. Do you see? more younger people getting into collecting? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's definitely a demographic that is exciting to me. Obviously, being super young, I think it's important um, to understand where that market is going to go and, and obviously um, start to build relationships with some of the younger generation because 
again, you know, we have some, uh, some older clients that have been buying for 40 years and they're kind of like, well, I don't need to find more wine anymore. In fact, I need to get rid of them. And so working with some of the younger generation is exciting. And, and I would say I'm seeing like 27, 28, 29, 30, 35-year-olds getting into, into, into collecting, sometimes buying really big collections and some are just buying you know a couple bottles here and there but I have friends that are you know not quite 30 or just a little bit over 30 and it all started kind of the same for them they started getting into wine they bought six bottles of something they had a little wine fridge and then they tasted a bottle and they're like wow and they started reading about it and then they go out and they buy another bottle and find another bottle it's definitely a very different way of collecting because 50 years ago, wine just wasn't expensive as like it is today. It just wasn't well known. So 50 years ago, you could buy a wine and you could buy cases of it and it would be, you know, $50 for the whole case of it. And now that wine might be worth thousand dollars. Now every wine is like $50 that these guys are collecting. So they're, instead of buying cases, they're buying ones or twos or threes, but it's, it's like a bug. Like you, you get it and you're like, Oh, I have this, like, I don't want to buy just one bottle because I want to drink one now. So I'm going to get two. And then you drink the one bottle then you're like, Oh wait, I need to get another one because it's so good that I want to hold on to it for a special occasion or something like that. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of young people um, getting into wine, whether restaurant industry, uh, the tech industry, athletes, whatever it is, like a lot of people are, it's becoming a, it's becoming a, a part of our culture, I think, which is exciting. Mm. We've been saying wine collecting and wine collection and maybe using the term slightly generically. Is there like um, a determining factor between uh, or like um, a clear definition of a wine collector? Is a wine collector someone who, okay, I grab a couple bottles this month and then maybe in a couple of months I get another couple bottles. Or is a wine collector someone that contacts you and says, hey, I would like to um, start with uh, 250 bottles and then let's see where we go from there. No, I think, I, think, I, think, I think a wine collector is really anybody that buys wine to drink it at a later date, maybe more than Saturday, I'll say. But, um, you know, that plans to kind of hold on to that wine for a little period of time. Um, and amassing a little bit more as you, as you go. I think really that's the, that's the definition of a collector. I don't think it's a determination of how many bottles that you have. I think the same thing can be said, like you, you're not a wine lover because you spend a thousand dollars on a bottle of wine. You're just a person that spends that much money on wine where somebody that spends $10 or $15 can love wine the same amount. I don't think that has to do with anything. So um, you know, a wine collector is just somebody that really the point for me for wine collecting is to be able to be at home alone with family, with friends and have something that you're happy to drink and not have to go to the store to. And I think that's really, that's really the whole point of a collection is just to gain access to make it a little bit easier on yourself. Um, I think when you buy wine when it's released for example it's a little bit easier to get whereas maybe 
after six months or a year after it's been released, a lot of other people are buying it. And you're buying, if you're buying a wine with a vintage date, it's automatically a limited product because it will never, 2018, whatever, will never be made again. And that's the only example. There'll be a 19, there's a 17, but if you want the 18 for whatever specific reason, you have to go in and get it. And I think that's really the only, um, that's really the definition of a collector. I don't think it's about anything else than that. Um, in your future, do you see like a, um, like a physical location, like a Zaki's where you, you know, you have like a seller, a large seller and you age your wine and you have your, your events at a, like a location? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think after spending so many years cooking and working in restaurants, it's, it's so funny. Like, I think when people ask me like, oh, you must have left the, you know, being a chef so that you could make more money and like have a better life balance. That was never a determination for me. I, I just wanted to learn and experience something new. Um, and so like, I would love to have a restaurant or multiple restaurants where, you know, we could also have an influence obviously on what's on the wine list, maybe a little bottle shop inside of one of the restaurants. Um, so I think at some point there's definitely a physical location. I'm not ready to leave the restaurant industry or hospitality industry completely. I still feel very involved in that. So Nice. So our next few questions are going to be a little fun. Um, they're going to be like random questions just to get to know you and us a little bit better. Sounds okay. So the first one, so Thatcher, each week, well, every, every time we record an episode for the past year, we've been, we've had this dollar amount and, and now we started like $1,000 and I, we're up to $18,000. So my question is, if you received $18,000, what would you do with it? Um, <laughs> if I just, if you just gave me $18,000, what would I do with it? Um, I would probably... Uh, take a portion of it and uh, in, invest it into the business, but I would probably take a pretty large portion of it, and the I would invest it um, into my own knowledge, and I would probably take a I'd probably put most of it towards a trip to Europe um, and travel around wine regions and learn as much as I as much as I could and absorb it as much as I can. Um, I don't think there's anything better than like being in that. Um, uh, being in that environment. Mm. Tanisha and Leslie, what about y'all? $18,000. I would travel and I would do the um, less popular wine regions because it's not my money, right? So, <laughs> so who cares? So like I would it go Because she gave it to you. So it's yours. Right. Well, you know, I would go to like, you ain't work for it? Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, I would go to like Croatia and Germany and like, you know, the less romantic, exciting ones. Just, you know, mm. check it out. See what's going on. Croatia's kind of dope though. That, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Mm. And so what are you doing with your 18K? 18K. I don't know. I already swam in it. I rolled in it. You got your plastic surgery. Right. I got my plastic <laughs> surgery. <laughs> Um, so I look 23, uh, I took the first class high end vacation. What's left? I started a foundation. 
I might just hold on to this. Okay. You can give hey, it. You already bought. It to I your... already bought expensive wines. Yeah. Um, you yeah. can give it to a member of the Squirrel Suite. That's a great idea. You can spread it across all of us. Mm-hmm. Since you don't need it, you can't right. no, do it. No, 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 that's not. That's not what I want to do. <laughs> I'm hold it. I'm hold it, and you know. Okay, okay. Let's see. With my 18k, I'm going to pack up and live somewhere else for like a month. So maybe Italy. Let's go to Italy for a month. And I can still work. I mean, I'm I'm teleworking. Yeah. So I would pick up and I would move somewhere and just live there for for like 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, just definitely yeah. do that in Italy off 18. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, you could definitely do 30 days for easily. You could do, I was thinking like four or five months. You could get, you could get away with it in Italy mm. a lot longer. The way Sarita Lee, if she can't. Oh. <laughs> I mean, let's, what did you, what, are you thinking about getting like um, a chalet or something like a, a uh, you know she's gonna be in a Tuscan villa under the that, right that overlooks the you know that overlooks a well okay. you gotta realize I don't travel bougie I'm not Glennis I may eat and drink bougie but <laughs> I don't need to stay in a villa I can stay in a little apartment or something or you know something super small I, I can rough staff. it out you'd have staff you know you'd oh to, you know oh. do your shopping and cleaning for you you got 18k. Why not? That ain't a, that ain't Why enough, are you cleaning though? yourself? That's not enough for 30. That days. ain't enough for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, if that's all you're gonna do, then yes. I mean, but if you're gonna eat as well, then no, mm-hmm. forget it. Okay. Yeah. Got yeah. you. Got you. But no, get you a little cute apartment and then also <laughs> all right. Next question. Let's just do two more. All right. What is your favorite type of chicken and rice? Like the brown gravy, like the old school kind? Mm-hmm. Okay. The baked, this is also old school. This is what I grew up on. Like the baked with the cream of mushroom or the cream of chicken. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Or the last one, which I saw on your Facebook page, Thatcher, the Singapore oh. style where it's clean. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, uh, like, but flavorful, but like clean, just chicken and rice. You know, I, I had the uh, cream of mushroom and rice growing up quite a bit. Um, I feel like, I'll probably get in trouble for this, but like if my mom was a better cook, that might have been my answer. Uh, uh, but I gotta go with the Singapore style because it's just out of control. She's gonna kill me for that. <laughs> and we no. can't tell her. You can't tell her you all here today. Right. Sorry, mom. She says it's the reason that I became. I wanted to become a chef because her food was so fast. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, everybody doesn't have a gift. Everybody she was an inspiration. That's great. Your your mother was inspiring. Well, exactly. yeah, it worked. She did what needed to be done. Well, you know, exactly. I'll have you know, my my uncle is a chef, and that is the exact reason he became a chef was my grandmother is not a good cook. <laughs> it works. So, it really it, works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Et voila. Yeah, uh, Tanisha Leslie, what about you? Chicken and rice. What way? The cream of um, mushroom way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wild rice, not plain white rice. Wild rice. Wild rice. A wild rice? No, yes. Okay. I don't think I've had it like that. No. Hmm. I, I like it with the, yeah, the chicken and mushroom, the smothered chicken yeah. with um, really starchy rice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know I have not had the Singapore style rice, but I, the chicken and rice, but I am dying to try because I've seen it on 
um, I believe, uh, I don't know if it was Anthony Bourdain or Andrew Zimmern. They had it a lot on their shows and it looks so good. It's and they of- ate, they ate it with the chopsticks. Oh my God. It looks, it looks so good. It's out of control. See, I, I've been to Singapore a couple of times and like, it's like you go to these, they're like food courts, but they're outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, there's just like 15 different places for chicken rice. And like everyone has their favorite one and the chickens are like sitting there and they just cut them up and put it rice and like this really cool sort of like almost like chili relish. Mm. It's out of control. I could eat it every day. So good. Oh my God, man. Wow. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Last question. What would the, what was the last wine you drank from a black winemaker? It's a, it's a hard question to answer. I think, um, I think about it a little bit like when you dine in a restaurant, you know, it's kind of like, is the chef the one that is making your experience? Um, oh. I think a lot of times the chef or the owner is not even in, in the restaurant and it's maybe the bartender or the server or um, whoever it is that really makes, uh, makes your experience. And I think, I think wine is a lot a lot like that and you know knowing that I drink a lot of French wine there's just not a lot of black winemakers uh in France like when I go to Burgundy there's no technically labeled black winemakers but what there are are a lot of black people helping the process to pick the grapes uh to help press the grapes to help with the logistics and like for really incredible domains and producers um, so I think that for me, I probably drink and everybody probably drinks a lot more wine than you think that are actually truly made by black people uh, than, than we think. And their, their names just might not be on the, on the bottle. So that's mm. kind of how, how I think about it. That's an excellent point. I had, um, last night I had the House of Brown Chardonnay. Oh, oh nice. nice. That's a nice Chardonnay. It is a very nice. Yeah. Yeah. this is not the SATs you went through a lot of them over the over the holiday when you came back from the US I think yeah it was over the holiday but no I think I've had one since then I had the one from um the south it's from um Long de Prussion oh cool yeah there's just not that there's not that many in France it's there I know too yeah yeah yeah. it's uh but you know what I, I think that um I think the thing about France specifically, or just Europe in general, is it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of generational change. It's, it's a lot of, it just gets passed down from grandfather to, you know, father to son, blah, blah, blah. And so, um, you know, eventually there, there will be. Um, and I, I think things take time um, and I, uh, I hope to see it. And De- there's definitely there, when you go when you go to Burgundy and you take the train from Paris to Burgundy, like I was on the train over the summer last year and there was like only black people on the train. There was like no French people, like no white French people on the train, and I, they're all going to Burgundy and for a variety of different reasons. And I think that's I think it's great. I think it's great to see, and I think we'll start to see that a lot more. Hmm. Wow. Well, my last uh, wine by a black winemaker was Andre Max uh, Love Drunk. One of my favorite roses. Oh yeah, it's yeah. good. Yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Thatcher, this was a fantastic interview. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Yeah, no, thank, thank you. you I'm like, me. I have 17 more questions. I know, right? <laughs> um, this is great. Yeah, thank it was you. awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Tell everybody where they can follow you before you go. Yeah, it's all the same. So the website is uh, www.thatcherswineconsulting.com. Uh, the Instagram account, thatcherswineconsulting.com, uh, or just thatcherswineconsulting, sorry, for Instagram. Facebook, same thing. Um, you can shoot us an email. Uh, directly on the site we have a kind of a cool texting feature so you can um, just subscribe and you can text with some of the songs and they can help to answer any wine questions for you um but yeah by any means if anyone needs anything happy to help awesome well you enjoy the rest of your week and thank you so much again thank you so much i appreciate it you as well bye-bye thank you tanisha i want to hear about italy Italy was great. All right. Italy was fantastic. I ate everything. I drank everything. (laughs) Italy still boggles my mind with the amount of grapes they have that I've never heard of in my life. Like still. Mm -hmm. Um, So the wine competition, I went down there to judge. Girl, it's a, they gave us a book and they were like, okay, you can write your notes in here or whatever. So I was writing down grapes and, you know, um, taking notes because I'm like oh I want to remember some of these because these are good then I ran out of pages I'm like the wow. book had 200 pages and I'm like have I drunk this much wine no how long was the like what the competition how long was it days two two days wow two days wow and so we ran through quite a few wines um a lot of Negro Amaro um mm. Negro Amaro and Primitivo those are their um main grapes um, then there were some grapes that I hadn't heard of before. Bambino Bianco and Bambino Nero. Um, Nero Detroit. I was like, well, I'm now in love with this grape. Um, Alianico, but we've heard of that one before. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, I had that in a rosé that was so refreshing, this crisp acidity. It almost tasted effervescent. Their rosé, they call them rosado. They come from that region, from Puglia. They're actually dark. So like as dark as like the rosés out of Tavelle in France, they come dark like that, like a light red. So, and they were like, no, we don't want that pale pink style. Like our grapes, we wanted to have more, um, our grapes have more flavor. And so we want our wines to have more character. And so they're darker, they're just darker. I was like, okay, girl, I believe you. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> okay. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, so um, we saw some of the nonas, uh, the grandmas, hand-rolling pasta. Oh, girl. Uh, we I know their pasta was so good. And I looked around, I was like, uh, luckily I knew one of the girls on the trip. I was like, girl, give me five euros so I can buy some. I was like, girl, give me some cat. I have any cat. Give me five euros so I can buy Did you bring any back? Yes. Oh, Amen. Mm. some pasta they have this snack called tarali it's a biscuit they literally have this biscuit everywhere it's in a circle um or like a long loop and so i had i bought a few of those what does a biscuit taste like like a like a buttermilk biscuit or like a cookie no it tastes like a cracker it just tastes like oh unless you get flavors like they have some that have different flavors um but you know, like that's even what they had at the table for us during the wine tasting, during the um, competition. They, mm. they had this, this kind of thing for us to taste. 
I'm sorry, that's giving you guys a tour of my parents' basement. I could tell that was your parents' house <laughs> by the closet door. Oh, yes. <laughs> They're really big in olive oil too. A lot yes. of production mm. We would drive through and um, we would see the olive trees and we went to an old olive press that used to be run by donkeys. Mm. I was like, okay. Um, and then as a part of the last event, we did a wine tasting at this uh, castle and you know they had the different wineries and stuff there. And then they also had olive oil producers there. So did a couple olive oil tastings. Um, and I got a couple of samples. I bought some truffle oil, of course. Yes. I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but I got it. Girl, mm. Mm. popcorn, pasta, potatoes, every carb you can think of. Exactly. Um, met this lady. I actually interviewed her for wine school dropout. And she used to be a sommelier in Italy, but then she wanted to develop this fresh fruit product, food product. So she makes her own like jams, confitures, and like little Aperol spreads. And so that's her new company that um, she has developed. And uh, she gave me, a, gave me one that's carrot. Cause I was like, carrot? She's like, no, you have to taste it. So I tasted it, I was like, oh, these are carrots. It is like a sweet jammy kind of flavor. It's like mm. carrot. Who would think carrot jelly? Wow. Girl, it's good. It kind of makes sense. Cause you know, carrots, carrots have a- them. they do yeah mm-hmm. but you just never think of carrot jelly no mm-hmm. yeah you, you're not like oh honey when you're out can you pick up some <laughs> right. carrot jelly for us like, i really wish i had some carrot jelly for my toast <laughs> right it's the smucker's carrot just right at the top right mm-hmm. the orange one thank you but do you still get that vegetal carrot flavor in the jelly though because that would be really. bomb on a sandwich I got to taste it again when I open. Mm. I'm trying to remember from before, but it was a lot happening. That yeah. Night. You know, the charcuterie board. Sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know yeah. how they have the, the Thai sandwiches with the little um, oh, yeah. carrots and that mm-hmm. would be good. Like the spread on that. Mm. Focaccia is amazing. I mean, sure. it's amazing when I've had it here, but then had yeah. some fresh focaccia there. Did not have as much dessert as I needed. <laughs> I needed more. I needed, I was like, is tiramisu just like a Northern Italy thing? Or is that? Mm-hmm. Did you at least happened? get some gelato? I did, but like I went out to get it myself. Okay. Um, it was not mm-hmm. served. The one place when we were at the, where we were judging, it was a, they called it a castle. I was like, well, it's not like the French chateaus I'm familiar with. So. <laughs> <laughs> it'll do. It'll do. <laughs> And so they would serve us lunch and dinner um, or whatever. And so they're like, oh, this is dessert. And it would be a bowl of cherries. I was like, oh, no. Uh-uh, I got I'm cherries at home. <laughs> I was like, I know cherries in season. I'm like, if you don't bake these into a cake. <laughs> Where is the pie? Did you have like some cream over it or just cherries? When I tell you it was a bowl of cherries with ice in it, I was like, well, this is... In the bottom of the day. I don't know. <laughs> like, did y'all run out of money? <laughs> yeah, if you roll these cherries and some pastries, something. Like, y'all don't have like no flour or nothing and sugar to just like mm. y'all these and like a little, a little tart, a, a tart, nothing. Yeah, something. Mm. Wow. Sis, when I tell y'all, they brought out, and this was like 
three meals. Mm. I was like, if they bring out them damn chairs one more time, and sure enough, (laughs) (laughs) stupid. And they're like, well, cherries here are expensive. So I see being excited one time, but not after every meal. I want to crack crack open a crust, like something flaky. I get cherries here. Like, yeah. And I'm not a big cherry eater. Maybe since, you know, I'm not used to having them as fresh as they are, but mm. I'm like, okay, maybe with strawberries, I would have got excited at least the first time, but I was like, cherries? That's funny. How about, I got someone, I got something better. How about you just take these cherries and go make me a fresh cocktail and squeeze the juice out of these cherries? Then I'll be happy. Wow. Yes, that, yeah. They could have made me a cocktail. I should have mm-hmm. just put come in my purse and made drinks <laughs> the hotel was nice it was that's it the room was big i need to i need to post the videos they just mm-hmm. sit in my phone chilling um it had like a little terrace um oh, and it had cute. table and chairs cute. out there and i was like oh i want to just sit out here but i had time like they had mm-hmm. a round all over the place yeah going to see vineyards and on the bus off the bus whatever um yeah, but it was cool. Got some seafood the first night. So good. Mm. I had a scampi pasta. Now that dessert was good that night. It was a ricotta cheesecake. Yes. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. A disaster. But I was like, no, I want that. Hmm. Hmm. Um, it was amazing. But the scampi pasta was with langoustine, hmm. which <gasps> is the whole entire thing. I mean, wow. all, every leg, tail, all of it. By the time I got to like the fifth one, I was like, I'm tired. I'm not. I can't. Oh, okay. Yeah, I couldn't do that in public. <laughs> I would want to be like sucking the heads and the tails. And you can't just be all cute with that, you know? And also it was in pasta. So mm-hmm. like. Then you got to work around. Yeah, that's a lot. Because yeah. the pasta yeah. sauce was good. So now my fingers are covered in this pasta sauce. I'm licking my finger and trying to lick the, you know, the shell on the low. Mm-hmm. And then a whole bunch of work it's not that much meat it was a lot of meat in the tail but like mm-hmm. the oh the yeah, oh see yeah hmm yeah well i've actually never had one but i've seen it on tv i can see this being a challenge it's it's not it's not cute it's like <laughs> you know what i hate it's like when you order shrimp and they had leave the heads on yeah. Yeah. You're like, come on. I don't want to put this work in for dinner. It's usually for decorative reasons. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I don't want that. I don't yeah. want that. Yeah. Especially like if I'm out. Whole entire body. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. if I'm not ready for it. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't. But the view from dinner was amazing. So I'm like, mm-hmm. don't complain. Let me shut up. <laughs> we look now at blue water and boats. Man, the light reflecting off the water. I was like, is this a life? Like, is this how it works in the mm-hmm. world? Shoot, that's when you're like, your 18K, you can go to Italy. You can go to Italy and live it up, especially in that part, the South. Yeah. <laughs> Leslie, like, would you she, say you like, need you need a man to share that with? We need a man. I'd be like, central casting, please send a man here. <laughs> Listen, when they get to 20K, that's what I'm gonna pay for, all right? <laughs> well, <laughs> just make sure he's clean. Cats results, all of that. Mm. References. <laughs> References. Good and bad. Okay.
Thanks for joining us, Rose Week, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Leave us a comment. Send us an email. Tell us what you like. Cheers.